Welcome back to Recorded Conversations. I'm your host, Danielle Kingstrom, and you're now joining the podcast that is dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic and connected conversations. I hope you enjoy today's show. If I'm being honest, it was a struggle for me to invite my next guest on the show. I had originally invited him on, and then we kind of disconnected for a little bit, mainly because I'm sure we were busy and neither of us just kind of got back in touch. But one of the reasons I struggled to invite him again was because we had recently gotten into a few disagreements on Facebook. And so I kind of had to shove down my pride and invite him again. And I think I kind of explained that to him too, that I was afraid to invite him on again um, because we had disagreed. And honestly, I'd said some things I probably shouldn't have said, and I wasn't intentionally trying to understand him. So I was very happy when he was still interested in coming on. And I think we had a wonderful conversation and it made me see him as a completely different person. And I think we forget to take time to do that. We stop looking at people to see the humanity in them and we only see what we wanna see. And we typically only wanna see those people with the labels that we're used to slapping on people, especially if we disagree with them. So if anything, I learned that even though I disagree with someone, it doesn't mean that there needs to be a wedge in our relationship. Here's a little bit of info on my next guest, Will Rucker. Once in a generation, a voice emerges that revolutionizes the world as we know it. Will Rucker is this generation's voice. As a voice of clarity in the midst of confusion and a light shining through cloudiness, Will the Voice Rucker offers the hope of love to a world in need. Will brings together all faiths and all people, welcoming them into an experience with divine love, which brings about a radical transformation. During a Sunday gatherings, classes, events, and activities, he strives to awaken the love that dwells within us all. Based on the teachings of Jesus and other revolutionary prophets, Will helps people of all backgrounds to release older thoughts and behavior patterns and open up a new way of being created by love beyond belief. You can also find Will Rucker at winningwithwill.com. So, Will, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so thankful that you were willing to take some time to come on, record a conversations, and record this episode. And especially given with what's kind of inundating all of our news feeds and our timelines right now, I think that there's just a lot that you've already spoken to that can contribute to offering maybe a little bit of healing for what we're taking place. So I, again, I'm just so thankful. I started really like watching your videos and getting to better understand you just a short couple of weeks ago, which is sad because I think we've been connected on Facebook for a while now. A good while. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it kind of hit me where I went, wow, I had, I, didn't even know this person. Like I had no idea about like who you were, what you did, what kind of work you were involved in. And so I I honestly, I sat down and I watched three or four of your videos and I was taking notes like crazy. And you were just saying so many great things that it was like, yes, yes, I feel (laughs) all of this. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you. uh, I'm just looking forward to us breaking down some of those things that really stuck out to me in your videos. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So 
what I noticed that um, your your biggest talking point is, as it should be, is is kind of this understanding we need to realize that we are all love, we are all worthy of being loved, and we all we all have a responsibility to show love. Um, and so it feels like you've kind of went through sort of an enlightenment, if I'm gauging that right. And I was wondering if you could just kind of break that down. What brought you to the path that you're on right now? Yeah, I really did. And it's that word is such a, a big word, but I think that it's accurate. So to give you a little bit more on my background, I grew up in a very free household. My father was quote unquote, out there. And my mom was a little more traditional and conservative, but even she uh, prayed in the name or prayed to our father, our mother, our everything God. So from a very young age, I was not in the traditional box. Then something strange happened at about 15 or 16. I decided to join the most conservative church in my city. And I joined it though, because they really taught the Bible verse by verse and unpacked a lot of the Greek and Hebrew. So I got into that and just hook, line, and sinker said, oh, well, this this must be the only right way because they say it is and they're, they're really believing it. But what I discovered when I began to pastor is that people are people no matter what faith tradition they come from and that they have the same concerns, desires, hopes, fears as anyone of any faith. And it just completely destroyed my paradigm of my way being the only right way, excuse me. And so that was really what turned on the light for me. So I began to study other traditions. I was invited to other faith groups and to share a Bible-based perspective with those groups. And they were hungry and they were interested. And the one thing they never did was say, you know, you can't come here because of your belief. And I was like, wow, this is different from what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I began to seek my own personal truth, what was in me from a very young age, and go back to what my heart had always said, which was love, and go back to the things that I just believed innately, which was people were worthy of respect, worthy of honor, and that we were all really one in the same. One of my favorite artists is Lauren Hill. She's a hip hop uh, mm, kind of rapper I love person. Her. I love yeah, her. she's fantastic. But it wasn't until very recently that I really recognized the prophetic nature of her work. She has a yeah. song called Everything is Everything. And yeah, it's fantastic. But I didn't get how deep it was because it's catchy, it's simple. But then when you really listen to what she's saying, I'm like, this lady gets it. Mm -hmm. And so discovering our interconnectedness and interdependence and this this really um, kind of universal energy that binds us all together, whether we like it or not, is what led me to enlightenment. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is um, I was watching the video you were doing today that you did today with the intersection and you said something and it, it, it made me think of something afterwards. And you said, we are all one. And I've been kind of locking onto this idea as of lately too. Um, I, I went from, I went from having a very individualistic uh, ideology to a very Um, collective ideology. And now Mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to refocus what I really believe is more important. And more so it's, I I think I'm understanding to, to see everything and everyone is this inter, inter individual 
connection. I like that word. (laughs) Yeah. And that does, and that, that means inclusion of all. And I've really been focusing on like, okay, what are we misunderstanding about unity and what are we misunderstanding about diversity and what are we misunderstanding about how we're supposed to see ourselves and other people? Like I see me and you, that for me says I can acknowledge the full humanity of you by seeing myself in you and you and me. And you said we are all one and we unfortunately just had these shootings happen. And I instantly went, we are all the gunmen at the mass shooting. And I sat with it and I thought, and I said something to my husband and he's like, yeah, yeah, we are. And I thought, well, how do we put that in perspective for other people to understand what you mean by that without people getting offended? And I think you do such a great job of reiterating that fact. Here's where we're connected. And you talk about how the diversity is is necessary for our existence and our existence creates diversity. So I was wondering if you could expand on that um, and, and, and how you came to this idea that we are all one and that we should see ourselves and everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you highlight the fact that we are also the gunmen. That is the, the thing that I think really trips people up and the, the part they don't want to accept. They want yeah. to relate to the victim. Yeah, we're we're in solid solidarity with the victims, but no, we're in solidarity with the oppressor as well. And so when you really recognize uh I'll take a step back. There's a a Netflix show called 13 Reasons Why, and I promise I'm not promoting everything and everybody today, but it's a great series that really just kind of connects these dots. So when you ask how I kind of began to understand our oneness, um, even though 13 Reasons Why was later on the journey, it really does illustrate how everything is connected. And so when I began to look within my heart, And that's some of the things that I am capable of and really discovering, you know what, if it wasn't for what I call grace, I could have been that gunman. I could have been that abuser. I could have been whatever the worst thing you want to say is. Um, And then I also circled back and said, what happened in their life that made them end up where they ended up? Who didn't smile at them? Who told them they weren't enough? Who said something that made them feel insecure? And when I look at things like, uh, you know, uh, supremacy ideas or um, anything you want to kind of throw out there, what it really boils down to is insecurity and not feeling confident in and as someone is, because in order to belittle someone else, you have to kind of be poked at something in you. When we are triggered by others, what we're really triggered by is those things that are within us. And so when I began to see that, I'm like, aha, we really are just one experience, but in infinite perspectives, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I like that. Infinite perspectives. Yeah. And and I think that's hard for a lot of people to even wrap their heads around just the fact that, hey, your perspective is valid. Your experience really exists and it happened to you, but so did everybody else's. And we're not about to get into comparing whether or not your experience means that it's the truth and that mine is not the truth. I think we, I think we get caught up with those labels and identities and where they're saying, okay, because I'm identifying as this and this happened in my experience, this is somehow validates it more so than yours. 
instead of saying, but we can celebrate all of those experiences. And for me, I, I have grappled um, with subjective and objective truth more mm-hmm. specifically and that kind of always plays out when you're talking to someone and for example you want to get into comparing suffering or comparing oppression and for a while i was like well we're comparing suffering we're comparing oppression and no one suffered more or been oppressed more but what that does just saying that statement alone without any follow-up is it kind of dismisses somebody else's experience, which we all find a way to justify Mm -hmm. anyway. But it's like, we don't want someone to do that to my experience and dismiss it. Why are we so willing to do it to others? And um, it was, it was a lot of things that you said that made me rethink um, a blog that I had written that I took a lot of heat for. And I wanted to just stand there and be like, no, guys, I'm right. I know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm <laughs> on this level. I get it. I'm yeah. seeing things. I'm just trying to show you. You know, I had this epiphany and I'm going to broadcast it to the world. And I didn't stop to go, wait a minute. The way that I was sharing my experience was dismissive of somebody else's experience and made them feel as though I was belittling them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that wasn't my intention. Um, but when I had asked you for some feedback, you had said some things that made me go, oh, and I, I literally was like, shit, Danielle, now I get it. <laughs> like, oh, I, I missed some key points to empathizing with the other's experience that I am all about promoting, but a blind spot of my own. And That's- so... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that's that's huge um, because that being right thing is really a dis-ease. And um, I I say dis-ease intentionally because when we when we are insecure or um, and insecure can come off kind of in the wrong way. But when we when we feel as though we have to be right in order to be valuable then that doesn't allow us to employ that empathy in some of those and create change. Because I was one of those people, I went to Bible school, I got two freaking degrees in the Bible, plus a diploma, plus I had studied it for years and years and years. And I just knew that I was right. And then <laughs> I learned something that completely took the rug from under me, like the entire foundation on which I had spent all these years and thousands of dollars <laughs> to get this paper, which is just wrong. And w- not that it wasn't good information, not that it wasn't right within its context, but in the greater space of actual reality, this was just one little sliver and one perspective of reading this one work that didn't actually address our true present reality. So I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt him, but, but that being right thing, I think is huge. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That, um, yeah, I struggle with it all the time. And I'm always like, I'm always saying things to other people, like you don't have to be right. And I always have to go, but why do you always have to be right, Danielle? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a big struggle. It's a, it's this tension that I don't want to hold up. I know that I feel the same way that other people feel when one wants to defend their position, and yet I'm not as willing to concede to it, even though I expect others to be so willing to concede. It's a silly, silly thing. Yeah, Um, but it's something we all do, and that defending our positions is why I think a lot of times we can't actually hear each other. Um, When I read the article you you sent me, 
I was really, really impressed. Um, I was like, wow, there's, there's a whole different level uh, to Danielle that I didn't really consider. And it helped me to, to put in context some of your other statements. But I think what happens is uh, we, we assume and we, we actually minimize how deep people really are and how nuanced their perspective is. And especially over social media, I, I am grateful for social media. And I also think it's a huge curse and a plague <laughs> because yep, people see that. your picture, you know, they, they see your cats and, you know, your trips. So they feel like they know you. But yeah. in reality, they are clueless about the depth of who you actually are. And then we get in into these very intense conversations about subjects that just I mean, they've been arguing for years. How many Christian denominations are there? You know, how many people have been fighting about these same types? And we think we can solve it with one 60 word post like that's that's absurd. Exactly. Yeah. We're always looking for simple solutions to these complex problems. And I, I, I think even when there are exchanges, I'm here's a philosophy, a concept or a topic I think we should discuss. And people are like, nope, here's four letters or here's here's two sentences. I fin- I fixed it. That's how it should be. And it's like, well, this goes back to that whole remembering. We don't all develop the same way. We don't all learn the same way. We don't even all have the same information. Even though we literally all have access to so much information, we don't all have that same information. And so, I mean, most of us are walking around ignorant. Like we're all so ignorant. We can all, I don't care how many degrees you have, that still doesn't make you the most educated person. It still doesn't make you wise. It still doesn't mean you're not ignorant. And I really loved how you were talking about ignorance today. And ignorance is, for me, what, I, what I've always believed is racism is, grows out of ignorance. We can't have racism without ignorance. And so I'm just curious, could you open up on ignorance? And um, even if you want to kind of repeat some of the things you were talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. And and sometimes I have to go back and watch what I said because I'm like, wow, that was good. Where'd that come yeah. from? <laughs> right? I know I have to go back and read stuff and go, oh yeah, I did good there. <laughs> yeah. But but for me, ignorance is is really twofold. Uh, the the big part is it's ignoring one thing or ignoring what's what's evident and what a real truth is. And the, the second part of it can just be the absence of knowledge. And so I, I'm not um, uh, against those that have an absence of knowledge. I'm not against anyone, candidly, but I, I would never um, invest energy in trying to, quote unquote, correct someone that just doesn't have knowledge. Yeah. But someone that's ignoring what is actually presently in front of them to either hold to a, a opinion they created before or you know something like that, that person needs to be addressed and that person needs to be kind of shaken awake, so to speak, because to ignore um, suffering, to ignore um, pain, to ignore the fact that people need each other um, is not spiritual, it's not healthy, it's not um, any of these things that we claim to be, it's not love or light, it's not even patriotic, it's just... Um, <laughs> damnable. It's, it's one of the things that we shouldn't do. So ignorance is also something that that grows um, and is is one of those things that can be cast out with love, but it has to come from a place where there's trust built first, because we can tell you all day, the sky is blue. 
But if you don't trust me when I say the sky is blue, when you go out there, you're going to say it's purple because that's what your best friend who you did trust told you before you ever had eyes to see. So it's one of those things where um, it's it's another kind of multifaceted um, issue. And ignorance is dangerous because those that are most ignorant are those that feel as though they're most knowledgeable. It's the, I believe it's the Dunning-Kruger effect is those that are actually least skilled will rate themselves as being most skilled, whereas those that are truly the experts are like, oh, there's so much more I need to, to work on on this. I told a friend yesterday, the, the more that I learn, the less I know. And that's one of the biggest hurdles in, in really being a quote unquote public figure or an expert on subjects is I really do have a lot of knowledge. And that has made me um, so cautious in asserting anything as absolute fact, because I'm like, you know what, 10 years ago when I got my, my master's degree in this, and I think it's about eight or so. But anyway, when I, when I got the degree, I thought I knew it all. I was like, oh yeah, I have arrived and this is it. <laughs> And then I discovered this whole other box and I'm like, whoa, where did these tools come from? Where did, where did this species pop out from? I, I didn't know this existed. It's kind of like when you go for the first time out of your city, you're like, okay, I thought there was only McDonald's and Burger King, but now you've got all of these other restaurants. What do I do? Because I thought I knew them all. Well, no, you don't. It's, you just know all the ones in your box. I love that. Yeah. I feel the same way. I feel like I keep learning and the more I learn, I'm like, oh my gosh, I still have so much to learn. There's, I, I, And where's the time and how am I ever going to learn all of this? And it's like literally every day someone will drop down a new phrase or this effect or this theory or this concept. And I'm like, wait, what's that? And so then I have to go spend time on the Google and the YouTube and figure out what the heck they're talking about. Right. Do I understand it? Do I need to apply this to my own life? And then are there 15 other concepts that I need to understand before I can fully understand this one? And then it's endless. And yeah. I and, <laughs> yeah, and the other part of it is they, they are building blocks. So going back to, to school, when I first learned multiplication and the kids do this completely different now, I, I feel so lost when I look at their math. Oh, right. yeah. But in my math, you used an X to do multiplication. Then all of a sudden I went to a new grade level and X was actually a value, like it had meaning. And now multiplication was a dot. And to complicate it even further, you could use parentheses to mean multiplication. So I'm just all screwed up because I said, no, my teacher said, X means multiply. So the entire paradigm shifted once I entered into a different realm or a deeper realm of mathematics. And the same is true of our journey spiritually or really uh, spirituality and relationality for me are the same thing. Um, so our relationships, depending on the context, different things have different meaning and different weight. And what mm -hmm. once meant one thing in one context can be completely different in a different context. Um, which can be unnerving because we like certainty as much as some of us love to claim we're adventurous and all of this. A at the yeah. core, we really want to be certain. We want you know things to be as they've always been. It's just our nature and our feeling of safety. Um, so that's that's really why I take my my time with people and allow them to vent. Um, I'm sure you've seen some interesting conversations on my Facebook page because people just oh like get ones into that it. I've participated in and have well, been. Yeah those people 
<laughs> yeah. So it, it's, but I enjoy it and I, I love watching the process because I was that person and I, I'm still that person in a lot of ways because there's, there's nothing you can tell me that says love isn't the answer for our reality. But what if I get shifted into an alternate reality where maybe love doesn't work? Maybe it's, you know, maybe it is hate that works in the other reality. I don't know. But for where I am now, there's not, there is nothing that can convince me that love isn't the answer to everything. I love that. I, I feel the same way. I think, and you know, Marianne Williamson kind of, I think, demonstrates that kind of same mentality too. You know, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, when she first started making a buzz, I looked into her and I'm a contrarian. And so I'm going to go and be like, well, everybody loves her. I'm going to find a reason not to love her, right? <laughs> like that's just what I do. Or everybody hates Jordan Peterson. Fine. I'm going to turn around and find a reason to love Jordan Peterson. It's just, I don't know, that ego in me. Mm-hmm. And I I couldn't, you know, everyone was loving on her and I'm like, but why? And I'm like, come on, she, this isn't serious. Like this is not politics. And then I was like, why don't you just listen to her, Danielle, without a bias? Just see what she has to say. And I started listening to her and I bought her books and I was enthralled by her message. And yeah, love is the superpower that we need. And now a lot of people don't want to hear that because that's not what we're used to. I mean, look at who our president is. Look at his Twitter feed. Most people don't know that a president can demonstrate love. They just expect anyone in politics is going to have to be this necessary evil that we learn to tolerate. But she offers a hope and an optimism. And even if she does not become the candidate, that maybe she will have influenced enough people to go, yeah, yeah, love is the power. Let's work with that. And not that we should expect everyone to change overnight, because again, none of us develop the same way we can't. But I really like that. I really love that. And you said something today about how you, and I want you to do it again, if you could, the metaphor you used for love and action with H2O. Oh my goodness. Yes. So love is, is two parts. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's not just, you know, these fuzzy feelings, these butterflies in our stomach, this, this warm, affectionate feeling, but love is also action. Our being love doesn't negate our doing love. So if you have, you know, hydrogen, it's hydrogen. If you have oxygen, it's oxygen. But when you put them together, they create water. But if you have either piece alone, it's not, it's not water. And the same is true of love. You can have, you know, wonderful actions and feelings. That's fine. But if you don't get off, off your butt and do something, then it's not love. Love is as much an action and a force as it is a feeling. I love that. Yeah. That stuck out to me and I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And that is so the message that Jesus delivers too. And I think is, you know, a theological argument too. Well, is love this? Is love that? Is faith this? Is faith that? It's both. It's the feeling, but it's the action. And we sit there and, you know, here's the thing. I thinking on love and thinking what it looks like and thinking what it feels like. And I mean, my question is, is love always constant for us, for humans? Are we always demonstrating love? Well, if I'm asking myself that question, honestly, in hindsight to what I've experienced, no. Would I fight with my husband? That is not love. That's not love in action. That's something else. When 
you're fighting with someone on social media in real life, if you are ignoring someone intentionally because they hurt you and you're not facing the problem, that's not love in action. And so we're not always loving. But the goal is that we should always be loving and that it's not just, am I saying nice things? It's what am I doing? And then it's more than that. It's we think love looks like this, that we can just put this in a little tiny box. Here's what love looks like. Boom. But it's so much more than that. And it's so encompassing. And everybody has the ability to demonstrate love in action every day, but we choose not to. And so why do you think people misidentify what love looks like? I think that people are fearful. I think that they are uh, or have been hurt and have been traumatized. Trauma literally re, uh, reconfigures the brain. And so our brains just don't process the way that they could once we have experienced trauma. And trauma begins for most of us at a very young age, uh, fear of abandonment, all of these different things. But what is the thing that we need to hold on to is that hope, that idea that things can change, that things can be better. And the idea of scarcity is what really drives uh, a lot of the greed that we see. Our biggest fear is uh, really death. Like everything, everyone is quote unquote geared to live, to survive. But once you recognize that death is an illusion, there's no such thing as death. No one actually dies. They transition their energy never stops ceasing or, or, or ceases to be. It just transforms and, and is, is a different form. Um, so when you recognize I can't die, then that core fear is eliminated, which allows you to love, which allows you to hope, and which allows you to be able to not, I don't want to say self-sacrifice, because I think that that's kind of an extreme and still not really the, the balance the universe has for us, but to be other-centered or other-serving. There are really just two paths in life. One is the path of self-service. One is the path of other service. Love is the path of other service. And when you recognize that that other really is you, then it becomes a lot easier. So people think that they have to survive. And if someone else gets ahead, then they fall behind. When the reality is every time someone makes an advancement, all of us advance. If you think about you know, space travel, that's something that people used to say was absolutely impossible. You can't take a human above 100 miles per hour or they'll disintegrate. You know, all of these things which we now look at as like, that's crazy. Well, the same is true with the politics of love. If you say you're just going to win with love, that's that's naive. That's that's simple. No, it's it's the real deal. And if you believe it, then it can happen. But my thing is, have you tried love? Have you really, really tried it? Or have you dipped your toe in the water and said, oh, it's a little chilly. I'm not going to try that. It's one of those things where you have to give it all that you've got for it to truly work. Um, people that hate or fear or um, are oppressive do so with conviction. But people that love are like, oh, I'm just love. You know, the flower children, we're just going to sit here and meditate all day. We're just going to love you with a hug. No, love means get up, get up off your butt and do something. <laughs> you, you see someone hurting, fix the system that inflicted that problem on them. So it's love, I think, is so misunderstood. And so it's, it's so simple that it's overly complicated. 
Um, if you think about like yeah. a laser, the reason a laser is powerful is it's a focused light. If you de- you know remove some of that focused energy, then it just becomes regular light and it can't cut through anything. So the most simple thing is actually the most powerful thing. And love is the core essence of who and what we are. It's our design. It's that the, the scripture says God is love. And so whatever you frame God as, it is love. So the thing that started the universe is love. The thing that holds the universe together is love. So that power is the only thing that we really have to rely on because it's the fabric of the universe. And hate is not just the absence of love. Um, Hate is also the presence of fear. And and that's just in my opinion. So That's good. Okay, so when people accept the realization that death is an illusion would you say that's when they kind of stop hitting that snooze button and are ready to spiritually awaken i think that's part of the journey for sure um it's one of those things that kind of is so deeply embedded in our dna and the ego of course is an evolutionary function that allows us to survive (laughs) so you know that kind of combination makes it tough. But I think the reason, and you're referring to the snooze button um, kind of analogy there, um, I, I think people know that it's time to get up, but they want someone else to go first. Uh, yeah. And it's it's like we we are by nature tribal. Like we 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 we're animals at the core. <laughs> like you know we want to be in a pack. Um, that's just the way we're built. And so we don't want to be trailblazers because being a trailblazer is hard. And when you wake up and, and tell someone that all of this, you know, it's it's a dream, basically, like you're you're projecting your reality and your experience isn't actually what's happening. It's just your perception like that. People are like, oh, you are out there. You are woo. I know yeah. that this is yeah. real, you know, and that's hard because they, they belittle you. Um, one of the things that she mentioned, Marianne Williamson, is they keep teasing her about, you know, essential oils and crystals. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the ancients use crystals and essential oils scientifically are proven to have certain results. So yes. who's really out there? The one that has the our watches, their their crystal, their quartz watches. They keep time to the like the nanosecond. Like all of this stuff is real just because you're ignorant about it to bring that back. Uh, just because you're ignorant doesn't mean it's not real and it doesn't work. I love that. So let's take ignorance just because your ignorance doesn't just because you're ignorant doesn't mean racism. And so here's where I see where I have seen the most discourse mm-hmm. and the most hatred and the most ignorance displayed is when we talk about racism. And so I'm curious from your perspective where do you see where do you see the progress coming from in let's say being able to collectively say okay we're defining what racism is and now we're working towards correcting it is it towards an anti-racist mentality is it towards um i don't know is it towards everybody going through um, racism uh, training? 
in their in their workspaces and in their churches and in understanding the black experience like something similar to what Robin D'Angelo does with her work through um, as is referenced in white fragility is that the aim that our country needs to go or should we focus on something bigger and more unifying than I I don't even know where to go with this, but do you see where I'm trying to open I, I, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think racism is a symptom. And so we keep trying to treat symptoms and we have not gotten to the root of anything. We've not even neared the root. Um, it, ignorance isn't racism, although you can be ignorant of your racism. And I think a lot of people don't know that. They feel like, I don't actively hate Black people. I just, mm -hmm. you know, think the way I think. And that's fine so, because it's all they've ever known. So that doesn't, just because you don't think you're racist doesn't mean you're not a racist. Um, but I also want to, to kind of throw into the conversation that racism as defined is not what most people really mean by racism. Most people really think of prejudice when, and, and kind of conflate the two. So prejudice okay. is something anyone can can have, and everyone does have to some some degree. Um, black people are some of the most prejudiced people in the world. I can't tell you how how many times I cringe when. So I, I do wedding officiating because um, love is my favorite thing. <laughs> so, but I'll I'll go into a room and the couple will be black, and they'll be like, "Oh, thank God, I'm so glad I got a black minister." And then they'll do like the black fist bump and thing, and I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, if you only knew who you're talking to, um, it, it, because I'm, I'm, I take offense at that. I'm like, I could only imagine what goes on when I walk into a white room and leave. Are they, are they saying, oh my God, I got a black minister? But that's never happened to me. I've never had a black couple or a white couple say, we don't want him to officiate our wedding because he's black. It's just never happened. But I have had white couple or a black couple say, we don't want the white person. We want the black guy. So it, it's, it's ignorant to think Black people can't be prejudiced. Um, but it's, it's also fascinating that a lot of things we don't necessarily perceive as racist actually are. And that would be when we talk about systems and the way that our, our country was built from its foundation. Um, we don't recognize that it, Black people aren't lazy, but they do have a problem with uh, systems and structures that started in slavery because that's how they were cultivated and trained. And we do have a long memory at the cellular level, and that's passed on generation to generation. Yeah, and genetic so, trauma is passed on. Yeah, I've read uh, amazing articles on that. Absolutely. And it influences what happens today. But if if you are ignorant of how money works, you can never accumulate wealth. And by and large, the African-American community is ignorant of how money works. The choices that they make with the little money they have keeps them in a, a state of being impoverished and perpetuates that from generation to generation. Um, it's something that I've witnessed firsthand. I, um, you know, I used to do music in the African-American Methodist Episcopal Church, and so made very good relationships with people that were impoverished. And I tried to mentor and I tried to jump in and give them, you know, show them the other side of the tracks. But at the end of the day, they turned out to be just like their fathers. Mm. And it breaks my heart, but it, 
it, it takes a radical systemic change in order to bring this up, um, this change about. And I need allies and folks that have information to just be patient and to recognize that when, when a black person cusses you out and calls you a racist, what they're saying is I'm traumatized, I'm hurt, I know that I'm in a bad state, but I don't know how to fix it and I don't know how to create lasting change. Mm. So it, it's it's so much to it, and and ignorance um, is pervasive. Just on, I guess this is what this conversation is about, because it's, it's on so many different fronts, and people don't recognize that our problems aren't aren't uh, with people. They're with spirits and with systems. With what, like, a, there's an idea of, of transurfing um, that that names this as pendulums, and pendulums are like the powers and, and spiritual forces that really rule. And so if you've ever noticed groups of people that, that gather around certain ideas, then begin to just take on those ideas without giving it actual thought. Well, that's a pendulum at play. That's a power. That's a, a principality that is at work. It's not the people that we need to fight against. It's the principality or that pendulum. And the way that Donald Trump keeps in power and the way that he's dominated the news waves is because people keep giving him attention. Now, when he first ran, to be very honest with you, I was going to vote for the guy. <laughs> I, I will publicly admit that I, I was going to vote. I did not vote for him. But um, I was like, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump, the apprentice. Yeah, this is cool. Um, yeah. Plus, I thought there was no way Hillary could lose. So, again, ignorant, right? But the reason that he's able to stay in power, and I predict that, you know, it's going to be one hell of an election this coming uh, 2020, is because we keep feeding energy with the conversations, with the, the tweets, with the news coverage. If you just stopped giving him attention, he would go away. Yes. And that's, that's the thing, because you're, you're feeding that. And he feeds off of the, the energy of fear. So a negative force or a, a force that um, is on the path of self-service is one that, that tries to, to take your fear energy for itself. Everything is energy, and we're always transferring and, and, and receiving. But when those negative forces are, are able to get you into a negative vibration, that's how they grow and, and strengthen. So we don't, we don't defeat Donald Trump by telling people how horrible he is. We defeat Donald Trump by talking about love and the positive uh, things that are available and the opportunity within our country. And I don't even think Donald Trump as an individual is what we really need to defeat, quote unquote, because I'm not for any particular particular person. I'm for principles and systems. Um, but I think that Donald Trump could be converted, you know, to use a Christian word. And yeah. some of his because his policies and the things that he he says are not necessarily wrong. Now the yeah. way that he says them can be a bit disturbing. And granted he has made some horrendous statements and done some terrible things. I get that. But the the, the very core of make America great again is not wrong. It's not bad. It's we want to be as great as possible. I, I take issue with the again part um, because I think we are great. And so I, I just I like his new slogan, keep America great, you know, make us greater. Do it, give us hope. Don't take us backwards because looking backwards is not going to get us anywhere. We're going to run into a ditch if we look backwards. But if we look into the opportunities that lie ahead, if we look at things like automation as an opportunity 
instead of a, a enemy, then we'll have a better society. If we look at the fact that yes, factory workers are gonna be out of business. Yes, truckers are not gonna have jobs. This is an opportunity for us to go to the next level. What do we do before computers, right? Well, now computers have given us these leaps and bounds improvements in our quality of life. The same is gonna be true of automation and driverless vehicles and all the things that are coming that we can't stop. We don't need to reopen the factories because we'll put people back in factories because that's not our that's not where we are as a species anymore. We've transitioned from this kind of 3D reality where we have to work and labor and strive. We're now entering into a 4D reality where we can manifest and where we can envision and create with you know using our imagination. So I'm kind of a little off on, on the subject, but it, the, the point remains that racism is really rooted in a principality and a spirit, and it's not the enemy. What's the enemy is fear. What's the enemy is despair. Oh, that's good. I like where you took it, though, because what it brought to mind was, are you familiar with Theodore Zeldin? I am not. Okay. Well, he is this incredible speaker. Um, he's from Europe. I can't remember specifically. He has this book called Conversation. He inspired me so deeply. And he speaks to this idea, similar to what you just said, that we need to embrace automation and we need to not see it as an enemy. And where that leads me to start considering things I never thought I would consider was that leap towards this, uh, this idea about a universal basic income, which if you take that, sit it on the side for a minute, and then consider Theodore Zeldin's approach to we need to learn how to bring back the art of conversation so that we can expand our experience by experiencing the experience of another. What automation can bring to us is that time and space to be able to direct our energy that way versus towards endless monotonous labor and rat race and nine to five. And instead, we're aiming towards bettering our society, our people, and not so much worried about things. Because if we're entering into a sphere where robots can do the things that people have once done, we're going to have more time. And we need to, we need to direct our energy towards something positive instead of being upset about this. And so the idea is that if we're learning how to converse properly, if we're learning that the only way we're ever going to learn is through others, then what that will do for us is bring us towards maybe becoming the light bearers that you, you speak about. And by learning how to see ourselves in other people, because what we're doing right now is we're not conversing with people. It's nowhere near what a dialogue should be. And more or less, we're just passing rhetoric back and forth to each other. Yeah. And instead, I mean, things like this, what we're doing right here is like the the epitome of what I most yearn for in life. Like, if you can promise me a conversation somewhere, I'm there. I'm interested. I love the idea of this connection. But I love that your most of your, well, I'll call them mission statements, if you will, just to just to condense all of the the great work and um and and speeches you've given is it it, it brings me back to this idea of Theodore Zeldin that he has that we have to provide this new renaissance for conversation for the art of understanding others and it's such an other oriented mission itself and that i think begins with um this kind of like spiritual and loving awakening that I think Marianne Williamson is bringing on board, but is 
seems to be just the the center focus of what you do. And so how would how would you recommend that we work? And let's take social media, for instance, because more times than not, most of the listeners are, are also um, users of the social media. How do we work towards, um, let's say, aiming our light at others and becoming light bearers and, and sharing that that flame to light other people's candles? What steps can we take? What things should we be aware of when we're interacting with other people that we're spreading love and that we're expending energy towards something positive and not delivering negative energy outward? First, let me say I am going to investigate this gentleman you speak of because I love it. (laughs) I'll send you a video. I have one of his videos saved. It's my favorite one. It's where it provoked me to get so interested in him. So I'll I'll be sure to send that to you. Well, thank you. So the the thing about social media is as much as it's kind of, as I mentioned, a plague, it's such a blessing for us because it does allow us to connect with people we would have never had an opportunity to interact with otherwise. I mean, I would never have met you just walking down the street because we live in totally different parts of the country. Exactly, exactly. But I believe that beauty is really the salvation of the world and that art is the highest form of beauty. And so when we look at people with, quote unquote, free time, what's going to happen? They're going to create art. And social media has created a platform for anyone that wants to express to have their own stage. So you can have your own channel on YouTube. You can have your own book on Facebook. You can have your, I don't know how to use Snapchat, but you can be whatever (laughs) you do on those. So it's one of these things where we've really created this opportunity for anyone who wants to, to be able to share and shed light on their perspective of the world. When you look at light through a prism, you see the spectrum of color. And that's really what humanity is. We're one light, one, one being, so to speak, one energy, but we're, we're broadcast through this. Our bodies are made of water. And so we come up with our own different colors because the light, when going through water, changes the, the color. You see a different color every time. So that's the beauty of social media. And if we learn to utilize it to create these conversations, um, I, no one ever really argues with art. Like you look at the Mona Lisa and everyone has a different perspective, but no one's like, oh, no, she was thinking about pink elephants when she took, you know, was painted. It's like, no, what do you see in this piece of art? What do you see? But for some reason, when it comes to spirituality, we only we are only allowed to see one thing. And so I, I see the opportunity ahead for these conversations to allow us to instead of trying to. Um, engage in a conversation to win, but engage in that conversation simply to learn. Because if that's your goal, if your goal for having this discussion is simply to learn, then we both win every time because there's no way we can lose. Um, The other part of that, yeah. Um, But the other part of that is with like the the UBI and the automation. A lot of times people are like, well, the lazy people are going to just milk the system. No, they're not. They, they're just currently uninspired or they feel hopeless or helpless. Or there are some people that just learn differently. Like I, I have, um, I'm on the autism spectrum, uh, you know, high functioning, but the way that I process the world is very ABCD and it's very factual. And I don't get into kind of that nuance of emotion and, and why people would with would withhold information or why they would want to not why why you're being led by your emotions like that just doesn't make sense to my brain Mm -hmm. but when you look at art that makes sense to me i'm like oh this is beautiful 
you know, so it's, it's one of those things where it just opens up the world in a whole new way um, that is beautiful and that allows us to really shine the light. If we're ever going to get to the stage where we communicate telepathically, we have to learn to be able to communicate with our mouths first. I love that. Yes. You said um, our mouths are an organ of speech and our energy speaks. And so what that makes me think of, and, and I think you referenced it as Proverbs 10 and 11, um, your mouth is a fountain of life. Mm-hmm. And that, again, when, when I heard you say that, made me think of Theodore Zeldin again, because he says similar things. It's like, you guys are on the same wavelength, so you'll have to match up with that. Um, finally, today, you were speaking about violence. Mm-hmm. And... I thought that was so important. I recently did a course on nonviolent communication, and it was more or less just to help me understand the ways in which I was ineffectively communicating with others. There, you know, there comes a point I think with a lot of people where you're like, "Am I just speaking a different language? What am I? I'm doing something wrong here. Everybody's mm-hmm. upset and offended by everything I'm saying. My intention is not producing the impact I thought it would." And so I put myself through. Um, not only that, but just taking like a, a social discourse analysis course, just to better understand the way people argue and interact. And then it was this, okay, nonviolent communication. And it was this book called um, Say What You Mean by Jay Oren Sofer. And he picked up from, um, he combined the, the nonviolent communication um, concept with a lot of Buddhist ideals. And the most important part of it was being intentional and meaning what you say, you know, and I think, um, uh, is it Don Miguel Ruiz and the, the, the love agreements or something that says that you need to be impeccable with your word. Mm-hmm. And when you were speaking about violence today, I was sitting here, I was like, okay, is he going to get to the point where we can be violent with our words too? And of course you did go there and you really um, did a great job of talking about how we're still stuck in this eye for an eye culture, this yeah. state of culture where violence, we justify violence. And for some reason think that when we justify violence, we're going to end violence. And um, that kind of, for me, and I had been saying this, like evil gives birth to evil. We witness evil. And instead of reacting with love, what we essentially do is we perpetuate more evil. And so we, we fail to remember that, um, that violence begets violence and hatred begets hatred and we're missing that key aspect of love. And so how do you think we can transform? And uh, well, let me go back once. You said something I wasn't expecting to, to, as a def- definition of violence and you said outrage. So let's stay, take outrage because I think we're all familiar with what that looks like anyway when we articulate it. How is outrage of violence and how can we transform our outrage into something nonviolent? Yeah, that's that's a big one. And so what violence is is really another dis-ease of humanity. So energy absolutely speaks. And the the thing that we have to to get better at is being like kids, being like babies. Babies will just be kind of looking off and we're like, oh, what are they looking at? They're just, you know, oh, they're so cute. No, they're seeing a different spectrum that they are then taught not to see or that 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 seeing is not cultivated in them. 
So all of our emotions are really energy in motion. And there are certain energies that are violent, that are harmful, that are detrimental. And when we cultivate those energies, we ultimately um, are, are in a path of destruction. And so like attracts like. The more um, outraged we become, the more outraged we feel and demonstrate. But when we can transform that by recognizing, first of all, what is really happening within me? What am I really feeling? That, that saying what you mean. If people mm -hmm. simply actually assertively, not aggressively, but assertively communicated their feelings, a lot of this would dissipate. And so energy absolutely speaks. Um, our, our energy can be felt. I can tell you, Danielle, girl, you look good. Or I can say, Danielle, girl, you look good. And it's a totally different vibe depending on what my actual energy is. And so we have to be able to, to kind of expand where we process and where we think and how we think and how we see, uh, because it, it, again, it's not woo woo, it's not out there. Like you can do scans and see this stuff. Um, just because our ears can't pick up on the waves in the air of the radio doesn't mean if we didn't have a tuner, it wouldn't be there. It's mm. the same with our energy. And the, the outrage that I'm, I'm really speaking of comes from a place that is not love. And so you, you come from a place, hate and all of that really isn't a thing. Like sickness isn't really a thing. Sickness is the absence of health. You know, hate really is the absence of love. So if you just put it on kind of like a scale, when you're at these lower vibrations, then it's not, um, it, it's not clear. The, the lower vibration doesn't have the capacity to communicate clearly, which is why you have to go higher on the spectrum. And so love is, you know, towards the top of the spectrum, which is why we try to resonate there. Um, but when we're, when we're talking about transforming outrage, we have to first separate our outrage from being directed to an individual, because when we fight with each other, we all lose. And we don't get that yet. We think that if I bomb this country and show them my force, I'm going to be fine. No, what's going to happen is you're going to bomb that country. 50 years later, someone that was in that country has now come to ours legally and now will bomb us to get us back because the grudge has held a long time. So I kind of hope that makes sense on, on how to transform that. It's taking it away from the person and, put, and, and focusing on the system and, and the positive light energy. I love that. I love that. And I think if it's okay with you, I'd like to just leave it right there. And yeah. what I what I would love for you to do is if you could just tell our listeners how they can connect with you. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for having me on today and, and engaging in this conversation. I've really enjoyed our online interactions, but this is a million times better. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so I'm on Facebook just at Will Rucker, R-U-C-K-E-R. -E um, I'm on Instagram at Will Rucker. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's it. I do tweet. Um, I'm, I warn you, if you do come on my Twitter, it's literally whatever pops into my head at the moment, but it's also <laughs> just Will Rucker. So um, anywhere online, you can also find me at winningwithwill.com. That's where you can connect with me for any type of coaching or workshop or anything along that line. And you officiate weddings as well. And weddings are on there as well, winningwithwill.com. And it has a little tab for, for weddings. So if you're ever in Las Vegas or want to fly me out, I'd love to be a part of your special day. 
All right. All right. Well, listeners, make sure you check out Will Rucker with all, and I will provide you with links so you can have more direct access. Will, thank you so much. Seriously, I'm going to treasure this conversation and I really enjoy all of our interactions and I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. My pleasure. Here's the part of the show where I let you know how you can connect with me and support me if you're interested in. I can be found on Facebook at Danielle Kingstrom, Twitter and Instagram at dkingstrom. And for more of my written work, you can find me as a contributing writer for Patheos Progressive Christian. And I do have a Patreon page. If you're interested in financially supporting my work while also receiving excerpts from my upcoming book, Enfleshed, Making Monogamous Relationships Real, and for additional content, videos, sneak peeks into interviews that I'm working on, and all-around good stuff, seek me out at patreon.com slash Danielle Kingstrom. Thank you for joining. Please make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Take care.